Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. We are delighted that you are here. My name is Mike Pratz and I'm joined today by Zachary Rissler. We're going to be talking about speckle tracking. The paper is titled Feasibility and Accuracy of Speckle Tracking Echocardiography in Emergency Department Patients, a Preliminary Study. This was published in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine, e-published September 2018. All right, well, let me talk to you a little bit about speckle tracking in case you haven't heard about it. It's this really neat idea that your ultrasound machine can identify unique little particles in the myocardium and therefore be able to track the myocardial wall over time. That allows you to kind of see how much the heart is contracting and relaxing and identify any areas of the heart that are not doing that normally. So that's called myocardial deformation. So speckle tracking allows you to see, is this normal deformation or is this abnormal? So you can imagine it would help you track down anything relating to abnormal heart function, such as heart failure, right heart strain from pulmonary embolisms, or in the case of this study, looking for more regional wall motion abnormalities that might indicate myocardial ischemia. So. Basically, we know at this point, based on some previous literature, that one, you can use ultrasound for identifying regional wall motion abnormalities, or you can use ultrasound in suspected non-ST elevation myocardial infarction to know that there is some myocardial damage, but we don't think that that is very accurate right now. We also know that electrocardiograms alone are not very sensitive for identifying all coronary occlusions. And that's the main goal. We got to figure out who needs an intervention. So the hypothesis of this study is that maybe we can use speckle tracking to identify more patients that have these, this presentation of acute coronary syndrome, but they don't have any findings on their ECG that would make you want to send them straight to the cath lab. So maybe speckle tracking can help you find these patients. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, so this was a really interesting article. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how they did it. So the population was a high-volume academic trauma center. They collected data for about a two-year period with, of patients with suspected acute coronary syndrome. They included adults and patients who received the point-of-care speckle tracking echo. So some exclusions were kind of what you would expect. Patients that didn't have complete ultrasounds, they weren't labeled, they didn't have all of the proper views. This was a retrospective chart review, and they collected information, including their bedside ultrasound interpretation, their uh, admission or discharge diagnosis, and other things related to their hospital stay. They also included who did the study, and if they were experienced or inexperienced, which I think was very helpful in this study. So for accuracy, they compared to two criterion standards. So either patients that had comprehensive echoes with wall motion abnormalities or patients that were diagnosed with acute coronary syndrome, so either elevated troponin or unstable angina or percutaneous coronary intervention, 
or those with stenosis greater than 70% on catheterization. So the ultrasounds, like I said, were done by the emergency department, either ultrasound fellows, residents, fellowship-trained faculty, faculty members, or ultrasound technicians. They used the phased array probe to do the scanning. And of note, the speckle tracking requires a special software package with the speckle tracking ability. So how did they get the scan? So the scans are based on the patient's ECG tracing, and the ultrasound system identifies mid-systole, and the provider then manually traces the endocardial border. This allows the computer to then find areas on the ultrasound and track them over time to see if there is any change in the strain analysis. So they defined abnormal strain pattern when all of the wall segments did not form a single uniform line. And that's important, Zach, because there's a couple of different ways that you could define an abnormality on speckle tracking. You could either do what they did and say, which of these wall segments does not look like the other ones? Which one seems to be not moving as well? Or you could actually use a more quantifiable percentage of deformation that would be constituted as an abnormal amount. And that's how the cutoffs are in some of these national guidelines, like from the American Society of Echocardiography. All right, well, let me get into the results here. So remember, they were going back through all their ultrasound database and trying to find which patients had speckle tracking. So they ultimately found 187 studies, but then they ended up excluding a whole bunch of them. So over 100 of them were excluded because they didn't have the required two windows of speckle tracking. And then some of them were also excluded because even if they had to, they didn't have the parasternal or the apical windows. So at the end of the day, they had 75 echoes that met their inclusion criteria. Looking at the patients who had those echoes, 72% were male. They were mean age 52.5. 77% of those patients got admitted to the hospital. And then as far as the standards that we we're comparing these point of care speckle tracking exams to, 53% had a comprehensive echo afterwards. 15% had cardiac catheterization. Who was getting these echoes when they came in? Well, it was people with chest pain. It was the typical patients where you suspect acute coronary syndrome. 56% of these patients had chest pain, another 13% with shortness of breath. I think that's a pretty representative group of who you would want to do this in. Now let's talk about the accuracy. This is their primary outcome. How accurate is their point of care speckle tracking echo compared to the comprehensive Speckle tracking, well, it had a sensitivity of 35% and a specificity of 70%. Not good enough. What if you compare it to the clinical or serum-based diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome? Remember, that could be based on anything from a troponin elevation to having findings of coronary occlusion on a cath. Well, in that case, sensitivity 29%, specificity 88%. So a little bit more specific in that case, but I wouldn't call it perfect. Still a little bit lower than we'd like to see. Some other interesting findings of the study were that only 40% of the echoes they reviewed were actually complete by their standards, meaning they had to have at least a couple speckle tracking views. 50% had no operator recorded. I don't think that's unique to their institution. 
21% were performed by ultrasound fellows. So that's a pretty good amount of uh, highly trained people who are performing these exams. And they, they mentioned that the specificity increases to 80% when you use only people that are more experienced. Now, the authors also wanted to point out that 72% of these echoes were referenced in the medical decision-making. So, despite what we see from its rather poor accuracy, people are using these to make decisions in, the, in their emergency department already. So, that's of interest. Zach, what do you make of all this? Should we all go get machines with speckle tracking and start doing this on every chest pain patient? So I hope that the answer is yes, but maybe in the future. I think we need to do a little bit more work to figure out exactly who should get a speckle tracking ultrasound and who should be performing them. I think the idea is very promising and seems to be used in the cardiology literature, but maybe not ready for prime time in the emergency department. Yeah, I think that this is a really great start to the conversation. Uh, obviously, this is retrospective, and I think the authors knew getting into it that they're just trying to see where we are right now. They're obviously using it a lot more than many other places are, but we need to at least start the conversation by seeing, let's compare this to something and see how good it is. I think, like you said, it's going to get better from here, and just based on understanding how this works, it has a good chance of being helpful in this patient population. One of my contentions was the criterion standards that they used. You know, I think that it was interesting to include both of these things compared to a comprehensive echo and also compared to a diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome. But there's so many different ways to make the diagnosis that it kind of muddies the water a little bit. Between the point of care echo and the comprehensive echo with speckle tracking, we don't know how much time elapsed. So that could account for some of the differences that were seen there. And then otherwise, when you're comparing it to patients that have a small amount of troponin in their blood or patients that have 100% blockage of their coronary arteries, those are pretty different patients. And so maybe we shouldn't expect that this could pick up both of those at the same time. They also um, excluded almost uh, 60% of their studies because they were incomplete, uh, which makes you question, why were these studies incomplete? Maybe it was the more sick patients and they just didn't have time to uh, go through their whole normal process of putting in all of the information into the machine or um, getting all of the views in question. If you have a patient with an obvious lesion on EKG, you may not need to spend as much time doing the ultrasound when the patient could be in the cath lab. So there could have been a reason why some patients were excluded and that could have some bias in the study. Or maybe it's just that this is so hard to do that people couldn't get the exams enough. And that would be a a big concern going forward. If we're going to say this is a really great tool, well, great tools need to be able to be used by a large amount of people. So I think that it wouldn't be very applicable to everyone that's using point-of-care ultrasound right now if you can only get it on 40% of your patients. Yeah, I agree. And they do talk about this in the discussion of their paper. They also mentioned that possibly only a personal view or personal short view may be needed as a more sensitive screen in the emergency department. I would love 
to see a study on this in the future. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, let me summarize this study. So this was a retrospective chart review study taking a look at all the point of care speckle tracking echoes that were done in an emergency department. They ended up having 75 echoes that they could track. The accuracy of these point of care speckle tracking echoes compared to both a comprehensive echo and compared to a diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome was pretty poor. Sensitivities were low, 30%. Specificities were not great highest of 88% specificity. So my take home points were that this is not yet ready for prime time. Fascinating idea. I love it. I think it will be a great thing to keep looking at, but right now it's not sensitive or specific enough for the diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome to really hang your hat on. So more work needs to be done for both this and also other uses in the emergency department, such as looking at patients with pulmonary embolism or heart failure. So I think there's a lot of potential here and I'm excited to see what's coming down the pike. So thanks to the authors for doing this great research. Great to have this stuff out there. And thanks to you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to check out our website, ultrasoundgel.org. You can check us out on Facebook or Google Plus or talk to us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. We will talk to you later. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Thanks for coming to MTV Unplugged. I'm going to play Smells Like Teen Spirit.